Hello and welcome to the latest Lancet UK election podcast. I'm Richard Lane and in this podcast we're going to hear the views of the Scottish Nationalist Party, SNP. On the line is Dr Philippa Whitford, who in addition to being a breast cancer surgeon is also going for a Westminster seat for the SNP in the constituency of Central Air. Philippa Whitford, many thanks indeed for speaking to the Lancet election podcast. Thank you very much for asking me. Can you just explained to our listeners and to myself the Scottish situation. It is it is different, isn't it? Obviously, you have a Scottish Parliament at Holyrood in Edinburgh with a health minister. Also, that you have NHS Scotland, which operates quite differently to NHS in England. And you are actually going for a Westminster seat as part of the UK election. So it's potentially a bit confusing. Can you just give us some background? Sure. Yes. Obviously, we've had our Parliament since 1999 and health has been a devolved issue. So we have a Cabinet Secretary or Minister for Health. So the decisions about how we deliver health within the NHS in Scotland are made in Edinburgh, but Westminster still hold our purse strings. So the budget we get given to work with is controlled at Westminster. Now, what happened after 1999 is gradually over the following years, we reversed what Mrs Thatcher had set up, which is the trust system. And we eventually worked our way back to being a single, unified Scottish NHS. Now, we had always been separate. People forget that actually the Scottish NHS was established in 1948. Uh, but you just wouldn't have noticed because, you know, when I was we, we all worked together. What we do have that's different is obviously we do have a unified system. We don't have the current outsourcing and privatisation that is unfortunately causing problems in England. We have free prescriptions and basically we try and work together across the NHS in Scotland. How would you summarise what SNP health policy is then, given a different context in Scotland to England and other parts of the UK? Well, within Scotland, um, the SNP policy is actually trying to tackle our underlying health problems. Obviously, we've often been called the sick man of Europe, and a lot of that relates to poverty and deprivation and the hopelessness that goes with that. And obviously, that has actually got worse since the 80s, when we lost our industrial base and and had more and more unemployed. They take quite a strong public health approach. Obviously, we brought in the smoking ban a little bit earlier than yourselves. We're trying to bring in plain cigarette packaging, minimum price alcohol. But, you know, we're struggling to actually get those things through. And that's something that worries us about about TTIP um, and the free trade agreement between Europe and America, which would allow big companies to actually sue governments for for taking these kind of actions and that's something that we can only have our voice heard in Westminster we don't have a voice in Europe we would support an NHS re-establishment bill for England because we think in the long term if citizens in England lose their public NHS service eventually that would threaten us there's no way we'd get to keep what we have as people south of the border lose the NHS that we've all depended on. That's interesting then. So although um, the NHS in Scotland is going to remain the NHS in Scotland, you actually uh, politically therefore have aspirations to influence health policy in the next UK government. Obviously the SNP is not going to be in power of, of the UK government. It has its Scottish Parliament obviously at the moment in Edinburgh. So how do you see the SNP's role then in, in potentially modifying health policies of the next uh, UK government? Well, I think if we manage to send a strong team of SNP MPs, what we will at least have is a voice and 
and some influence. And depending on how we might be working with a Labour Party after the election, if there's a hung parliament, is clearly we may get to, to put that forward. And our leader, Nicola Sturgeon, has certainly already committed to supporting the NHS re-establishment bill, which the National Health Action Party and our NHS have, have put together. Um, and that's along with the other progressive parties, such as the Greens and Plaid Cymru. And so in that sense, we feel that it would help to protect our NHS in the future, because there's no way they're going to send a generous budget to us if you know people in England are being herded towards private insurance in the future. And also, we would be able to actually do some good right across the UK. So what do you make of what the two largest parties, obviously the Conservatives and and the Labour Party, are saying about the NHS, notwithstanding the finance, the finances that are being banded around at the moment and the funding, uh, some uncosted funding promises seen that, that are being made. But in terms of the actual policy, because we've interviewed Andy Burnham already for the podcast, we hope to interview Jeremy Hunt or a colleague for the Conservatives before the election. The main difference that I can see, obviously, is that, that the Labour Party are wanting to get rid of the Health and Social Care Act that was introduced by this government in 2012. But also the Labour Party are calling for the NHS to be a preferred supplier, so that's not the end of privatisation. No, not at all. Whereas the Conservatives, presumably, haven't interviewed them yet, but obviously we can tell they're not going to repeal the, the, the Act, the Health and Social Care Act that they introduced in 2012. How do you see the main differences between those two main parties? Well, the, obviously, um, you know, Andy Burnham and, and Labour are talking about rowing back a little from what happened. But, I mean, it was Labour that actually laid the original foundations with foundation trusts, with changing to any qualified provider, and by setting up independent treatment centres. So they were the ones that kind of prized open the door. And then, of course, with the Health and Social Care Act, you know, the doors basically came off. And I think that that's something where there is a drive within Labour to see that things are really falling apart. And obviously, if, if we were working with them on any basis, then us pushing to, you know, go right back might actually have an influence. If you look at the new contract that's being discussed in Staffordshire for cancer services, where they're going to insert a prime provider, then what you're talking about is up to £100 million is envisaged as being sucked off into that company. Well, we already had a prime provider. It was the NHS. And yet the commissioning groups in Staffordshire are finding it really hard to work with all these disparate little private providers. You actually have to go back and take that out of the system. What they're saying to citizens in England is simply that the NHS is unaffordable. We have to just accept that our NHS is too expensive and too inefficient. We need to get wealthier people to take private insurance. More of us have to pay for more of our treatment. And yet, if you look at research like the Commonwealth Fund report last year, it still shows that the UK-style NHS of tax in and health delivered is the cheapest and most efficient way to do it. And therefore, I feel that it's, it's an ideological decision and not actually a financial decision. And while Labour want to go back a wee bit, they're not talking about supporting the NHS re-establishment bill. What are your views on the current arguments to do with the future funding of, of the National Health Service. Do you believe that so much of the funding that is required that's coming out of the Simon Stevens report, the extra eight billion a year, can be achieved primarily through, you know, a large amount of that can be achieved through cost savings? Well, not while you're planning to insert 
more and more complex administration for bidding and tendering and private companies who need to make profits. To me, the, the, the best way to save money would actually be to, to simplify it. These companies are not in it out of charity. They're in it to make profit. Uh, and that's what's actually making it more expensive. I mean, Simon Stevens' vision, the five-year forward, is actually, you know, reads very similarly to the Scottish 2020 vision, which came out a couple of years ago. And our integration of health and social care has, is starting now, this month. The first projects are going forward. There's a recognition of what we need to do but the method of doing it in England still seems to all come down to well, getting lots of private companies in will somehow be better. And, and I don't think it is. And I don't think there's money there to be milked out by a few wee efficiency savings within the services that will counter this creaming off of, uh, of profits by, by private companies. And the sheer inefficiency of competition instead of collaboration. So given that you don't see the money coming, therefore, from these efficiency savings, you'd be very much upfront calling for increase in taxation. Well, to me, the, the efficiency saving you could make is to get rid of, you know, the Health and Social Care Act, to get rid of this outsourcing and fracturing and actually work your way back to the NHS. I can't believe the Conservatives are going to give another $8 billion when they've signed up to $30 billion more cuts. And indeed, Labour have walked through the lobbies with them. So I can't see how that will actually deliver more money to the NHS. But what money they are delivering to the NHS, a lot of it will end up in private company profits. Whereas I would rather see a lot more of it going to the, the coalface. Now, unusually for uh, politicians who I've been speaking to around election time, you are actually a doctor. Tell us a bit about your clinical background, your experience, and, and what you've seen recently as a clinician and, and how that's influenced your thoughts about what uh, health policy should be. Well, I'm a consultant breast cancer surgeon in one of the local hospitals here. You know, this was not a career plan, let's just say. I really feel I do value the NHS incredibly. And I, I worked in the Middle East, in Gaza and Lebanon as a volunteer for two years. And I saw literally people suffer and die for lack of access to basic health care. And that gave me such an appreciation of what we have. And when I returned in 94 was the beginning of the changes that the Conservatives brought in purchaser provider split let's all pretend we're shopping around for health and you could already see the waste in that what i see is the challenge we have now is a uk-wide challenge which is increased demand we do have an aging population but i get really teed off when people talk about it as a catastrophe you know have they thought what the alternative is and i definitely remember at medical school being told that was the whole point it's not people living longer it's the fact that our people aren't living healthily. And that's what we need to change. And up here in Scotland and certainly in parts of England, that is very clearly related to poverty and deprivation. So to me, some of it is a bit like the, the impact of clean water back in the 18th and 19th century. It's all very well to talk about the NHS, but that doesn't give people health. It's just there to catch you when you fall. And it's marvellous to know that it will be there to catch you when you fall. But what gives you health is kids having a good start in life, having decent chances at school, people having the opportunity to work, to feed their families, have a roof over their head, etc. And so to me, I kind of eventually reached the point of thinking, you know, I'm looking after people one at a time. I'm doing my absolute best and I, 
you know, really loved my job. But in actual fact, we have these deeper fundamental problems, both of tackling our underlying ill health and also protecting the principle of the National Health Service. Can I just ask you a tiny bit more about uh, integration of health and social care? Because obviously this is this is the new vocabulary coming out of the Stevens report. Um, the other parties are talking about it. In Scotland, that's already beginning to happen, you're saying. Do you see that as the correct way forward? Do you see any problems um, in the short term as, as people in the health sector and the social care sector work out what integration means? Is there potential for confusion, overlap and, and a bit more chaos as this gets sorted out? I think it's immensely challenging. But yes, I do think they have to work together because, you know, we've all had patients in hospital because, well, if the patient's there, it doesn't come out of such and such a purse. But equally, if they're somewhere else, it comes out of a different purse. And, and obviously, that's very inefficient. And we do get patients who are stuck in hospital because the next step of their journey isn't there. What they've done in Scotland is they've created um, integration boards where funding is coming from both sides. Um, and they're at the moment working out how to do that. I would say one of the biggest challenges for us in Scotland is the fact that our, our NHS is a unified public service, whereas social care is not. It is much more outsourced, much more private nursing homes and care homes. Um, the care delivered in people's houses, etc., is also often done by private companies. And how to put that together is going to be very challenging. But in Scotland, we already have free personal care. So, you know, that is one of our policies, that we will try to deliver care in the homes of the elderly to let them stay at home for as long as is physically possible. And that's, again, one of the advantages we have. But it's trying to, trying to knit it all together into, into a coherent package. And a final thought, Philippa Whitford. What do you think is going to happen on May the 7th? Well, that's up to the voters, but uh, it's looking pretty hopeful at this end, it has to be said. There's there's just an absolute wave and an absolute disgust with Labour here in Scotland. So I'm, uh, I'm not particularly expecting to be back in the clinic. I may have to learn a whole new way of working. So you're confident of, of being uh, an SNP Westminster, having an, a Westminster seat for the SNP for, for Central Air. Philippa Whitford, Dr Philippa Whitford, Many thanks indeed for talking to the Lancet Election Podcast. Okay, thank you very much, Richard.